Hey guys, Brian here. It's been a while. Man, Input Output's been on kind of hiatus. Most of that's my fault. Editing this show can be real tricky, and that's part of why I'm coming to you before this episode. Uh, we're going to change the format of the show just slightly. Instead of having all the musical clips drop into the show the way we've been doing in the past, we're going to be creating Spotify and Apple Music playlists that you can have handy. So any song that we mention from this episode onward, not counting this current episode because we talk about some like 50 albums this episode and it would just be kind of crazy. But we're going to have all those songs in Spotify and Apple Music playlists and we'll post them online so you can listen to the songs at your leisure and it will save some of the editing, which means shows can get out in a more timely fashion. So tonight we're going to release the uh, our year-end spectacular. We talk about our top 30 records of the year. We were both very, very tired, me especially, so I'm sorry for how loopy I get in parts of this. But um, there's, uh, there's a lot of good music chat in this extra-long episode, so enjoy that. And then starting next week, I'm going to be releasing an episode a week for the next three weeks to catch us up on the banked episodes. And then we'll be back in late January with a discussion of Run the Jewels 3, as well as an album of my choosing that I haven't thought of yet. So, from Vince and myself, thank you for listening. This has been a fun first year. I promise a more consistent schedule in 2017. And, um, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back in about 30 seconds with the 2016 year-end spectacular. Welcome to the Input Output Year End Spectacular. Um, we have been, oh, first of all, I'm Brian. This is Vince. As always, um, we've been working on our top 30 albums of the year for a while now. And I actually just locked mine in about three minutes ago. <laughs> I was between two for the final, not the final spot, um, but I uh, I had to rearrange some things. And so I have, I've had my 30 for a couple hours, but the order I think now is locked in. Um, you locked yours in what yesterday? I was it yesterday. I texted you. It was yesterday uh, or earlier today. I can't recall now. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I had the day off, so I kind of did some work on it. And okay, isn't it just thrilling? Like, ah, oh, here's my thirty. I still don't feel great about mine. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's gonna change in a week or two. Of like, course trust it will. Me, it, of course it will. It will. Yeah. But, but for this moment in time, you've got it. Yeah, I do, and uh, we're locking it in here. So. Um, the way we're going to do this is, I mean, I'm sure we'll pause and have discussions in the middle or whatever, but we each have uh, a list of our 30. We, we pulled out the, uh, records we already talked about on the show. And so all the things in the, in the bucket here are up for grabs and, uh, we're just going to pull a random number and then talk about that album. So Vince, why don't you go first? All right. So I, I got number 11. Okay. Number 11 on my list is uh, – you're going to think that I rigged this. Okay. <laughs> Number 11 on my list is Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion Side B. <laughs> of course it is. Um, Did not make my list. No. I <laughs> Just just edged out by uh, 360 other albums. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I, I didn't listen to it, to be honest with you. Oh, so. you, oh man. 
you're you're a sinner. Let's pause this and, and let you do that. Wait, we'll okay, so, so here, here's my question. Okay, I, I legitimately like a lot of pop music, uh-huh. but the the Jepsen I've heard, aside from Call Me Maybe, which is like a roller coaster of a song, right? That's not even representative of. But but as I said, nothing about her other stuff that I've heard sounds like particularly great pop music oh man and see see this is what she does for me okay um first of all she kind of took a turn with with emotion last year into this very like 80s style you know a lot of synth um and and like intentionally reaching for that that 80s pop sound and uh side b is just more of the same but like there's all kinds of things like she doesn't have the strongest voice in pop by any means, you know, mm-hmm. but there's something about like the breathiness and the way that she like plays with the words. She's got all these little background flirt. Like if you, if you sit and you just listen to this, the, the, the song and the beat and some of the instrumentation that happens in the background, she's actually doing things with her voice that like purposely play in between these different beats so there's these like little flourishes and then she'll come in with a little, you know, even as something as simple as like a well-placed, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, it's just, whatever it is, it's just like candy to me. It, it feels like an intent, like anytime she does stuff like that, it's so intentional and it's so smart. Like to me, it's just smart pop sensibility, per- like purposely made to be like candy coated in some instances or really like earnest like just really earnest like singing singing while the rain like you're staring out the window and the rain is pouring down you know and like you're just letting it all out you know it's it's so earnest in a way that i just love and just endlessly catchy like she comes up with um even like the concepts of some of her songs are 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 catchy or funny in their own right like on on side b there's a song called store okay and it starts off as this like really grandiose like song of longing. She's she's with this guy right now, but she wishes she was with this other guy. And then when it gets to the chorus part, it's her her leaving this dude in his bed, like after a night with him, and she's saying, I'm just going to the store. But really she's leaving him behind. And okay. it's such like a it's such a cute, like funny and you'd have to hear it to understand, like, the true, like, it starts off as a very generic pop song, like, purposefully. And then when the chorus kicks in, it's, like, something completely different. It's, like, purposefully playing away from that, you know? Um, I just think she's really, like, her and her team are really smart about the way that they write these songs, you know? Um, uh, so, you know, and I understand that it's not for everybody. It's, like... <laughs> You know, it's not important pop by any means. You know, it's not. I, like... I don't. I don't give a shit about important pop. Sure. Okay. Like to to me, that's a false narrative. Okay. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. <laughs> uh huh. But anyway, that like that's that's why I like Carly Rae. Um, she, she just seems like she's got. I mean, she wrote like something like a hundred, like over a hundred songs for Emotion, and she ended up with like. The, for the deluxe package, there were like fifteen songs or whatever, and now here's another eight. Now, when you say she wrote, is she the principal songwriter? I, from what I understand, 
she is, but she has like co-writer like um Dev Hines from Blood Orange. Right, right. He, he like writes songs with her. She's got other people in the band that she writes songs with, producers, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's pop music in that way, but I I feel like her voice I mean, she's writing lyrics, she's messing around with production and things like that. From what I understand, she's there like every step of the way doing the work, you know. And I, that doesn't matter to me either. Like, even if she wasn't. No, I was just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. That that's my number eleven. <laughs> okay. Let me. Um. Let me. I'm putting this next to the microphone so you can hear my torn up piece of paper in my Mets cap. <laughs> All right, number twenty-eight. R.I.P. to the Mets. Hey. Season's been over for a while, bud. Uh, number 28 is, um, the record is called Holy Ghost by Modern Baseball. Uh, did you listen to this album? Yes, I did. I have it I have it on my list. Oh, it is. Where did it fall on your list? Oh, let me find it here. 17. Okay. Um, it's, um, I, I, I'm a little bit conflicted with the, um, reappropriation of the term emo <laughs> in some ways i feel like it's appropriate in some ways i feel like it's it's really inappropriate of a uh, of a term and uh i feel was that before you talk about the album in specific by mm-hmm. the way can we talk about that emo term i mean you can sure. fin- finish what you're saying but before you actually get into the album i'd like to talk about that because it's had something of a revival well yeah absolutely uh, yeah there's uh one two Three, I guess three records on my list could be considered emo, like uh, of this new are bands that would be considered this sort of new wave of emo. Um, and I think what it just means from like a marketing standpoint is that they are indie rock bands that play a little bit faster, talk about their emotions a little bit less obliquely a little bit more clearly and maybe have a slight whine to the vocal mm-hmm. maybe there's, there's definitely a vocal that you think of when when you're saying emo but i don't know if the current emo sounds as as emo vocally as the old emo does sure yep yep but there but there is there's an element to the music as well you know it's kind of um I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it's it's a it's a a warmer sound to the instrumentation too. Uh-huh. Somehow, you know, it's like you said, it's played faster, but it's not like on the level of pop punk. It's right, not right. Quite, it's not quite getting to that point, you know. It's finding this really warm space in between that, and it, it in me it immediately instills a nostalgic feeling, whether the song is actually nostalgic or not. That's interesting. Um, but this term emo, yeah, it's to me, to me, it, I don't think it fits very well with like the classic idea of what you think is emo, you know, it, that, that is not, that's not, that doesn't refer to, um, anything very specific, I think. But when you hear it, you know what it means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, it's almost like, um, it's like pornography. That 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 no that famous description that the Supreme Court used of like yeah yeah you yep. know I I can't define it but I know it when I see it yeah and I've seen a lot of it yeah. is, is the part they never quote when they say that that's true yeah um no I uh, when I think of emo 
like classic emo, the Get Up Kids is the band that pops in my head, mm-hmm. or like Dashboard Confessional, or um, yeah, there's a Jersey band, Midtown, or Saves the Day. There's a lot of bands that sort of fall into that genre. And while there are sort of connections to the modern emo, I think it's just we don't know what to call records influenced by those records yet. Yeah. So we're just reusing the term. Um, anyway, Modern Baseball. So one of the, the band with two two songwriters, and each songwriter takes half the record. Essentially, it's divided in half chronologically. So the first half of the album is written by one, the second half by the other. The uh, songwriter who wrote the second half of the album went through a, a pretty serious mental episode last year, and a lot of the album is about that recovery process. Um, he both went to rehab and also had some serious psychiatric counseling, and it seems like... He's come out the other side a much better person and a much different person. And so a lot of the record's about that. But even if I didn't know that going in, I just find this to be an incredibly strong batch of really good songs with super strong melodies, choruses that kind of kick you in the chest. And uh, this is an album I keep coming back to. I listen, you know, it's it's not new. This you know, it came out, you know, earlier in the year. But every couple of weeks I come back to it because I just really enjoy the songs. And I think that as a record, it hangs together really well, especially given the fact that there's two singer-songwriters in the band. I think it hangs better than a lot of records by duo bands like that. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Yeah. What do you think of the album? Um, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel all that uh, depression, loss, uh, you know, honesty type stuff that's in it um and that really appeals to me um sometimes i really need to hear that Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be honest and so there always seems to be a place on my list every year for a a band or two or three like this um because i think i think what we think of as emo that stuff really comes across well uh in a way that's unique in rock music you know um and i i also think um did we talk about American football's revival album this year at all? Maybe, maybe in a text. Yeah. So, so they were kind of, you know, for me, they were kind of one of the original emo. I know they're not, but like from, in my experience, I I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a revival this year and it wasn't quite their debut album just floors me. And it was this, their new album this year wasn't quite, what I wanted or what I, you know, it, it didn't live up to that. This album, which is odd because, you know, American football, modern baseball, <laughs> yeah, the name of this band. This is the album that for me was what American football revival, their revival album should have been. Interesting. And I think there's a similar sound there. I think there's a similar longing. Um, See, when I hear American football, I think of the sort of, um, this is totally the wrong term for it, but the math rockiness of it, like the angular mm. guitars and that, and that really isn't present on modern in this modern baseball record. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, that's an interesting point. Um, but yeah, from an emotional standpoint, this this covers yes, all the yes, bases, yeah. as it were. Uh-huh. <laughs> <sighs> um, yeah, and I I really love this album. Yeah. A good one. All right. What's your second record? What's your second number we're going to draw here? 18. Ah, 
Well, so, okay. 18 for me is Walter Martin, Arts and Leisure. Um, we talked we, about it. We did talk about it. So we're going to count those ones that we talked about. Yes, on our, yes, okay. yes. All right. So I'm not going to talk about that. And that is number six on my list, by the way. Okay. All right. I was – oh, that's high. That's good. I wasn't sure whether we um, – okay. So number 14, Frank Ocean, Blonde. Okay. Did um, not make my list. Was very close at the end, but didn't make my list. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, I have it lower than most people probably have it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an album that people are talking about as like a a number one contender. You know, yeah. um, and, you know, and, top, top five, top five, top ten in regularity. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the album was just a little bit weighed. I mean, you edit this thing a little bit, and then it's like the best album of the year for me. But this was one of the albums, and I think you alluded to it um, last week, maybe. That it's a little overlong. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of get lost because there's so much material. It's taken me several listens to like unpack it, which is which is fine, you know. But in that way, it's and it's kind of you know enigmatic. Can um, we can we talk about sort of a, a theme? And I think Blonde falls into it. Yeah, I know you've wanted to do that, and I would love to. Yeah, go take it away. Well, no, you, you talk a little bit more about it first. Okay, well, I just – the thing that I love about Frank Ocean, um, and I think his debut, which was Channel Orange. Which I adore. Uh, yeah, yes, me too, absolutely. Um, I think that's a – I think that's a stronger album. I think this one, if it were edited down, would be a stronger album than that one. Well, I don't uh, that. Beca- because I think – well, because I think – I think this one is – a lot more honest than Channel Orange, openly honest. Like, okay. There's a lot in Channel Orange that you can parse, you know? Sure. But there's a lot of mystery to it, too. This, Frank Ocean, like, over the course of this album, just lays himself bare. Like, stories, um, foibles that he has, things he worries about, things that he, you know, things that he doesn't like about himself, things that he likes about himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um there's some really killer lines. There's a line that I wrote down where he says, I ain't a kid no more. We'll never be those kids again. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that the, the first time, I was like, I mean, that's a, simp- that's a simple idea, you know? But, like, so much of what I feel that he's singing about on these songs has to do with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. A loss of in- innocence or times past or um, – uh, you know, and not and not always necessarily for better or for worse. Just you know, he's reflecting on these things, and uh, and and just like the the dreamy way that he does it. You know, he, he his songs are so layered that you you need to hear them a few times to unpack all the things that are going on in them. Um, so I I really I love how personal it is. I'm a sucker for like super personal albums. Um. I only wish it were a little shorter. That's all. So, so what did you? You said it almost made your list. Um, you want to talk about it a little bit, and then talk about your overarching. Well, my over. I can't separate it from my overarching thing. Okay. So, here is my, and this is going to sound like a really damning critique of the year. I don't really mean it that way. To me, this is the year musicians forgot to make their interesting records sound interesting. <laughs> Um, this is the perfect example of that. 
there is a lot of layers to this, as you've talked about. The lyrics are really interesting. All the fucking songs sound the same after a while. It they artists have forgot to diversify their sound. This happens on it's like fifteen records this year that I was like, these would be the best EPs of all time, but they <laughs> but they're all the same for too long. There's not enough tempo diversity. There's not enough. It's like it's just it's just and if you really sit and you work with them, you get rewarded. But I don't want to sit and work with them. Yeah. I found that with a lot of these albums, just like oh god damn it, speed up or slow down. <laughs> Change the drum machine you're using. Come on. There are points where like, you could walk away from this album for four or five songs, come back to it, and theoretically you don't know if you're in the same song as you were five songs ago. Because everything sounds that similar in points. Uh, just production-wise. I just I think I think there's this trend in a lot of the records that I'm seeing people gush about. I feel like I just I think they're really boring. I think they're rewarding after you put in to me, an unnecessary amount of work. Like, uh, we talked about The Life of Pablo, which made my list. Um, and Life of Pablo is nothing if not interesting. Oh, yeah. And to me, that is what I want out of out of these records. And I feel like no one else in the hip-hop game took things as far as Kanye did. And that's just... That's, I mean, Kanye's up to 11 at all times. You know, like, that's just... In every part of his life, he is intense and extreme and all of that. But I feel like if, if the Frank Ocean record just had a little bit of that Life of Pablo um, experimentation to it, and I think that there are experimental parts on the album, but they're all buried so deep that it's hard to find them. Mm. And it's not just a hip-hop problem. There's, there's one rock album I think you're going to have on your list <laughs> that I feel the exact same way about. And we'll get to that when when that comes up. Interesting. Um, but I just feel like this is the year that boring became chic. That like they, that it wasn't about change. It wasn't about. And I'm all for an album that that serves a mood, but there's just I, I just feel like artists really dropped the ball with making something that stands out track after track. Yeah, I. I see a little bit of that. I, I know exactly what you mean. And I think, yes, I think Frank Ocean, you know, I put in the work with that album. I did. And, but I know what you mean. And what you say is completely valid. You know, that what you're saying, that exists. I think um, it's also just part of it is, is the type of records that excite me mm -hmm. typically don't fall into that kind of category. Sure. Yep, you are a Renaissance man, my friend. <laughs> why? Why am I a Renaissance man? You, you like the, you like variety. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's interesting. There are a couple of albums on my list that certainly are not varied, but yeah. to me, they are such strong artistic statements that you can't turn away. Yeah. Um. Again, I and I like this Frank Ocean album, and I think in a year I might have it on my list. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to put in six months to something that may not necessarily yield. Like I'm trying to think of an album um that didn't come out this year, so we can talk about it. But like that <laughs> that that instantly that I thought was really I mean, I think The Life of Pablo is actually the best example here. That album when you listen to it, like the first time I finished listening to it, I felt like John Locke and Lost and like I think I'm gonna have to listen to that again. 
Yeah. Like, right away. I didn't feel that after the Frank Ocean album. I thought it, like, intellectually, I'm like, to get this more, I have to listen to this again. But I didn't feel that. I felt that with The Life of Pablo. I felt that with Black Star. I felt that with a moon-shaped pool. Mm-hmm. There's 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 one particular hip hop album we're going to talk about later. I hope that I definitely felt that with. Okay. Um, but just you know, like this album and a number of others, others that people love. I just feel <laughs> like man, they forgot to make it interesting. They forgot to they forgot to make it exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm excited. This is this is where. This is this is where I'll quibble with you just a little. Mm-hmm. I think Blonde is very interesting, but it's interesting on one wavelength. But I know what you mean. I think there are interesting ideas. I don't think the record sounds interesting. Okay. I guess that's that's my quibble. And again, I might I might be full of shit and change my mind, you know, in a couple of months when I give it more time. <laughs> I I just feel like there's something to be said for art that grabs you. Even if you don't fully get it, you just want to invest more of your time. Yeah. And I, I, th- I didn't feel that with this album. Whereas Channel Orange, I felt uh-huh. that with instantly. Oh, yeah. And that's that's an album that has variety to it, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess if anyone hasn't heard Blonde yet and they want to listen, they want to make their own, like, mini EP so that they can, like, hear the best of this album, they could put like Nike's Ivy and white Ferrari on there. And then that would be all they would need, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, that was number 14 for me. Okay. Let me, let me dig into the hat here. 25. <laughs> such, such a charmingly, uh, ramshackle situation. Yeah, you have yeah. over there. Uh, 25, uh, Jeff Rosenstock worry. Mm. Um, did you listen to this album? I did listen to it. It's an honorable mention of mine. Um, did you do honorable mentions at all? Only one. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, for now, I did. I, I did ten. So. Oh man, I fuck you. I wish I, I could have done twenty honorable mentions earlier today. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I mean, the, yeah. Well, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> um, so Jeff Rosenstock is part of this uh, generation of. I guess you you maybe call them punk musicians. I don't really like that term, but we'll we'll go with it. Punk guitarists and singer songwriters. Um, he's he is super super poppy. He has a very garage rocky sound, but he also mixes in a a little bit of ska, which is really unexpected because I don't know if there's a less hip reference than ska, <laughs> but he makes it work every single time. It's such a, when it pops up on the record, it is such a pleasant diversion, and it really makes me happy. Um, I think he's a hell of a guitar player. I think his songs are super poppy and super strong. Uh, this album, you mentioned how modern baseball makes you feel nostalgic. This album makes me feel nostalgic. Mm. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I have his his prior record called We Cool. Which I enjoyed, but this was next level for me. To me, this is by far the best thing Rosenstock's ever done. Wow, I'm not I'm not familiar enough with his work to say that, but mm-hmm. 
It's high praise. What do you think of ska as a reference point? <laughs> I I went through a bit of a ska phase. Didn't we all? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess. I, I might have like mentioned it. this in a podcast before. There was a band in my high school called Scali Baba. And so, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. That's bad. It is. Wonder why they never made it big. There was another band called Heft that was uh, that actually like toured and 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 made it you know big in terms of the New Jersey ska scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I I like ska. And when I heard it, when I heard this album, those moments like really, I like jumped out of my seat a little. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, but I liked it. I like it's 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 different. You know, you don't expect it, and um, and I think it's a legitimate artistic endeavor. Like it certainly adds to what he's doing mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah i th- this is i think maybe the most fun record on my whole list mm. this is the walter martin album but they're fun for very different reasons yeah um, yeah yeah i uh i like that there's this little trend of singer songwriters with a punk edge that are also really good guitar players mm-hmm <laughs> You know, I really like that that trend. So yeah, that's my number. Uh, was this my second album I talked about? I guess yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your third? Uh, my third, I drew number seven here. Uh, it's Connor Oberst, Ruminations. That's number seven on my list too. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, what do you know? Um, dude, this album. Like, first of all, I'm a huge Connor fan. Like, Bright Eyes, Mystic Valley Band, all that stuff. Um. Monsters of Folk, right? <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I love anything he's ever done. Um, but this is some of the strongest work he's done in a while. Um, again, because it's so deeply personal. I mean, there's not, he's not doing a lot of experimentation on this at all. You know? No, he's not. He's sitting there with a piano, a guitar, a harmonica. And a microphone. And a microphone. And that's about it. And it's pain, like... The stuff he's bringing up is painful, and you can just tell, like, his voice is wavering. You know, he sounds like he's really working through some stuff. And it made me cry several times throughout the year. And to me, that's a mark of a good album. (laughs) Like, there were times this year that I needed something like this in my life, you know. Um, And, uh, uh... he, he he runs the gamut here. The, the opening song, Tachycardia, it's like a very panicky song. It has to deal with the whole um, uh, recanted uh, rape thing uh-huh. that he had to go through uh, a couple years ago. Um, then it goes into Barbary Coast, which is this really melancholy sort of uh, uh, song. Gossamer Thin is like this alarming autobiography there's there's stuff in there that it's like is this really is this him he's talking about it sure sounds like it you know and it's um but but to me the album really opens up on the back half uh and it shows like s- some of Connor's strongest songwriting he like takes an idea like let's talk about um Mama Borthwick mm-hmm. uh which is the fifth song he he takes a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright references and turns them into like introspection or like looking at the world in a certain way through the work of 
Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> and it's just really like, he takes this one idea and he builds a song around it with like three extremely strong um, verses. And then just, uh, that song floors me. I, I love that thing. I think it's my favorite song on the album. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and then, he, you know, he does a similar thing with uh, the, 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 there's a trio of songs, a little, a uh, little uncanny. You all loved him once until St. Dimphna kicks us out. And they're, they're all built around these like ideas. And so like you, you all loved him once. It's about like, you know, some, some, let, let's, one of the, one of the verses is about a Jesus figure, right? Who gets stabbed in the back in the end, you know? And the whole song is kind of about that, like figures that you love at one moment and then, hate or forget about or despise or or ignore later and it's so heartbreaking it's like the most heartbreaking song um i think of bernie sanders when i listen to it (laughs) 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 but uh but just just such such strong conceptual songwriting um just really raw the things that he does like i don't know how much of a He's got an interesting voice. I don't know if it's a very strong voice. I love his um, voice, but I love it for how him it is. I yes, I love his voice. He did say once that uh, I could have been a famous singer if I had somebody else's voice. Yep. Um, from my for, from my favorite uh, Bright Eyes record. Yep. There you go. Was that Casadega? Nope. No. I. What was it? That's from I'm Wide Awake This Morning. It is. Yep. That's my favorite. What am I? What am I talking about here? Uh, <laughs> I'm just swept up in the Connor right now. I understand. Um, I just love the little interesting vocal that you know the songs. The songs may be simple sometimes, but then he'll do these like weird little vocal ticks. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. This album just floored me. I, I with how personal it is. Yeah, you know, this is kind of um, a nice album to talk about so soon after talking about Frank Ocean's record, mm-hmm. because this is not a, a diverse sounding record. It all kind of sounds it, not not that it all sounds the same. It's all built around the same ingredients, mm-hmm. but the songwriting is so strong, and the lyrics so personal, and the vocals so impassioned. Like I can't imagine this is an album I started to listen to at work, and I had to turn it off because I was like, this this demands <laughs> more attention than this. Yeah, and I feel like that's what I'm talking about being missing from a lot of the records of this year. Um, just that, that, that moment of demanding you do nothing else but listen to this right this second. Sure. And, uh, this album is stunning. I think it's the best thing he's done since I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. I think it's the best, um, maybe the best, like, pure singer-songwriter album of the decade so far. Mm. Like, just like voice and instrument. Uh-huh. You know, really, really strong, um... I don't want to say I'd given up on him because that's not the right word for it, but there was a time in my life when a new Connor Oberst record was reason to take notice, and that time has passed for me, I think. But this album showed me that I'm a fool and I should always be excited for a new Connor Oberst record. Yeah. Ready for my next one? Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's see. 23, my third straight choice in the 20s. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, as you can hear, I'm wrestling around in a hat. 
Um, number 23 is uh, another emo-ish record. Uh, Pine Grove is the name of the band. The album is Cardinal. Are you familiar with this record? Yep, I listened to it. It, uh, it didn't make my list. Um, it's not quite in my honorable mentions. I think I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't go back to it, though. Okay. Uh, I definitely understand that this is a slow burner record. This is probably, I'd say, actually the most slow burn record on my list. Um, this is also a, a bit of, of one of my strongest biases coming <laughs> forward here, which is that they are a New Jersey band. Mm. And uh, I love to support the local artists. Um, but I saw them earlier this year on a, a four-band bill, and the um, their record is definitely much more subdued than their live show. And I liked the record. Then I saw them live, and I loved the record. You know, one of those classic examples of, of seeing a band live really making the difference. Uh, to me, the lyrics on this album are... Emo in the sense that, much like the Connor Oberst record, actually, in a way, just incredibly honest. A lot of the album is sort of about looking at... How can I put this? I guess like reevaluating things in your life and doing so honestly. And I really relate to that theme. And uh, it's also... It's interesting because they have kind of grabbed the emo tag, but... Musically, it's it's very much to me like seventies Laurel Canyon kind of country rock sound. You know, lots of acoustic guitars, and uh, you know, it's it sounds kind of timeless to me. And that's one of the things that you and I have talked about a bit this year is sort of the idea of what twenty sixteen sounds like. And this certainly doesn't sound like twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, really enjoy it, and I think it's an album that, for a lyrics guy like yourself, if you went back and, and gave it another shot, I, I think you, you might find some uh, some lyrics you really enjoy on there. I'll have to do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that down. Pine Grove. Go back to that. Yeah, I um, I really like the um, I really like the way the album unfolds as well. Like um, the uh, I'm just pulling up the track list here, so I don't butcher the names of the songs because I tend to do that. Um, do, 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 do. Where are you, Pine Grove? There we go. Um, the first song called "Old Friends," and, and, and that is sort of um, if you like the, the like the sonics of that song, then then you'll like the rest of the album. It sort of sets a template for it. However, the back half of the album, starting with the the uh, Fourth from last song here, um, Visiting, is really, to me, where the album kicks into just a different gear. And, uh, yeah, again, it's not going to blow away on first listen. This is an album I will honestly say uh, could fall into my critique of 2016 earlier in terms of artists (laughs) not being as as diverse as, as they perhaps should be. And I will fully admit that this is one of those records that other people who I trust's admiration for it made me go back to it a number of times. Mm-hmm. But I'm really glad that I did. See, yeah. See, I'll, I'll purpose do that. I'll purposely admit that I'm a hypocrite here with certain oh, I, things. I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think also part of it is just that as um, 
as I get older, I, I, I have more affinity for sort of the acoustic country sounds. Mm-hmm. So that helps as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my number 23, Pine Grove's Cardinal. All right. Well, my next one is <laughs> number 19. Okay. And it's Tim Heidecker's In Glendale. <laughs> this was my one honorable mention. Damn. <laughs> this, is, this was my number 31. That's la- a good that's a good honorable mention. That's the, the last one I cut. Okay. <laughs> that's good. I uh so for for anyone who's not familiar with Tim Heidecker, he's part of the comedy team of Tim and Eric, okay? Um but this is not <laughs> this is not like an off the wall comedy record. It's funny. There's definitely several funny moments in it. But I I listened to an interview with him once where he was at a record store and he was paging through albums and pulling stuff out that were influences on him. And this is Tim Heidecker doing a fairly straight Warren Zevon or like Randy Newman impression. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, (laughs) they're like these, sort of mundane storytelling songs. Little you know? slices of life. Little slices of life. Um, and, you know, some of them are probably truthful. Some of them have a bit of embellishment. Some of them are just, some of them are a little wacky, you know. There's one, I think, where he, like, implies that he murders somebody. And yeah. Buries, <laughs> buries their head under the Hollywood sign. Yeah. Which is, that's about as uh, overtly comedic as this album gets. But um, even when he does it, it, it he is not... He's not playing it up the fact that, like, if you weren't really listening carefully, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hear that, you know. Right. I think Warren Zevon is actually the perfect touchstone. I'm glad you mentioned him huh. because there's definitely Warren Zevon songs that have ridiculous concepts in them. Yeah. But they're not played up as novelty comedy songs. Yes, that's yeah, that's exactly what he's going for here, and um, and I think it works beautifully. I mean. The album has no business to be being as straightforwardly good as I think it is. Agreed. <laughs> like it is a short, it is a short little like, you know, rock album that that. Uh, it's yeah, it's just it's just tight and short, and it sounds good, and it's a good impression. Like he pulls off the impression that he's going for, and um, <laughs> there's a, the the second song on the album is called "Cleaning Up the Dog Shit." It's the best song of the album. It's the best song on the album. It's my 2016 anthem because 2016 for me and I think for a lot of us is, you know, there's a lot of dog shit. Um, this year has been full of dog shit, Brian. And we're just picking it up. I mean, to be fair, most of my years are full of dog shit because I have a dog. But I also had a baby this year. So, so you're, you're, you're picking up the dog shit, picking up the kitty shit. Yep. Uh, the, the, this was this was the song of like the spring for me, yeah. Because that was my life very much for uh, a few months there. Yep. And see, we started fostering dogs mm-hmm. in addition to the one that we have, and um, I've picked up more dog shit in a single year than I have probably in the rest of my life combined. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's also one. There's a song towards the end called I Saw Nicolas Cage. Yeah, okay. yeah. Now, that is probably the most, like, outwardly going for a laugh song because 
just the mere mention of Nicolas Cage is like a meme, right? right? But that's not even like the idea that he that Nicolas Cage looked at him once <laughs> is not even the funny thing about the song to me. The best line in the song is he's on the highway towards the end of the song and he he hears about a four he hears about four okay, I'm just going to read the lyric. Please do. Four young children died when the car flipped over the bridge. No one knew them well. They weren't liked. (laughs) 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 Which is like the coldest, you know, and he just sings it so straightforwardly. that, like, wait a minute, the kids weren't liked. (laughs) I think he's just so funny that he can't help, like, he's writing this quasi-serious song, but he still throws a hilarious line in there because it's just who he is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, and it's that offbeat brand of humor that, that he's known for. Yeah. But he just, he delivers it so straight-faced. Um, so I can't believe it, but but Tim Heidecker is my 19th album of the year. Uh, can I tell you the one thing Tim Heidecker and I have in common? Well, I, I guess two things, the story's about two things, but the two things Tim Heidecker and I have in common? Um, you, uh, you both have friends named eric that you film comedy skits with uh, three things then no, i'm kidding <laughs> I, I do have a friend named eric we haven't filmed comedy in many many years or ever uh, but no i was um this is gonna sound like a star fucking story and i don't mean it to sound that way but i was with uh frank black a couple years ago and his wife was there and she said to me what's your daughter's name i can't remember i said well, amelia he goes she goes oh uh, one of our friends just had an amelia who is it oh it's tim you know tim and I was like, I know Tim. She's like, yeah, Tim Heidecker. And I was like, oh, I do know Tim. Yeah, okay. Um, so apparently we, we, we both are, are friendly with, with the, the Thompsons, uh, Charles Thompson, Frank Black. And we both have daughters in Amelia. So there we go. Nice. Yeah. All right. Time to get the hat out. I'm really playing up the sound effects here. Like like when Stephen Colbert fake dials a phone. Yeah, yep, you know. yep, yep. Same thing here. All right. Please don't be in the 20s. <laughs> uh 10 number 10 what nice. is number 10 number 10 is uh, another new jersey band uh symbols eat guitar is pretty years mm. did you listen to this record at all i did again it didn't quite make the cut no I, i'm not expecting it to um <laughs> i really loved their last album lose a whole whole lot the last album was very much inspired uh the lead singer one of his very good friends had passed away a number of years ago and it took him a few years to be able to write about it. And so that whole album is very much about loss and death. And I really enjoyed it. This one is not so overtly thematic, um, but this is another kind of trend. I don't know if it's a 2016, I think it's a trend of the last couple of years, which is um, musicians being, um, indie rock musicians, not being shy about, having big ambitions for the sounds of their albums. I feel like 10 years ago, if people had name dropped things like Bruce Springsteen or the (laughs) Dire Straits or Steely Dan as reference points, what they wanted their albums to sound like that, that would have been, that would have been considered very uncool. And I feel like that is beginning to change now. And these sort of larger arrangements, like you know, 
I, I like Bruce Springsteen. I'm not the world's biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. You're not Chris Christie. I'm not Chris Christie. Thank fucking God. Um, <laughs> for a number of reasons. Um, I am fat, though. <laughs> and I'm from New Jersey. But besides the fact, um, but yeah, I am not Chris Christie. But like, I think that there's a certain like bombast to what Springsteen does all the time that for a long time people kind of looked down their nose at like it was just this sort of like forced sentimentality through large arrangement that people were really not not down with and i feel like symbols and guitars are one of the bands that have said like no you know what we're gonna we're gonna make an album that sounds really big and really lush and really full and we don't give a shit we like that and i think that i said that's that's kind of changed the last five or six years I actually think one of your favorite bands, The Hold Steady, was one of the first, like, ten years ago to really begin to do that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you didn't see that influence extend past them for a while. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, I really like this album. It's um, it's an album that is definitely, uh, again, it, it rewards repeat listening, but I think it's just because... The, the songs melodically are, are really strong. And the first time I listened to the album, at least for me, I was really struck by how immediate all the melodies were. As I went back and listened to it more, I, I found the guitar playing really interesting. I, I don't think that a lot of the record's lead guitar parts sound like you'd expect them to sound. I think the song's really interestingly layered. And this, maybe more than any other album on my list, works the best as a as a complete album front to back, I think it suffers a lot when you take songs from it. Mm. Like I've, I've been playing around with making a, um, a playlist of my top 30 albums to actually put online for the show. And I can't decide what track to go. because I feel like each track builds off of what comes before or after it so well that it's hard to isolate just one song. Yeah, that's hard. Um, I'm a pretty big albums guy, so I totally understand that. And, yeah. Yeah, that that's my number ten. Uh, what's your next number? All right, is this the last one we're doing? Uh, let's see. This, How many this, have you talked about? You talked about Frank Ocean and Tim Frank Heidecker, Ocean, Heidecker, Connor, and uh, Carly. Yeah, this is your last one. All right. So <clears throat> my last one is number three. So we're going high, high up here. All right. Okay. And it's Chance the Rapper, Coloring Book. That's my number four. Ooh, look at that. Yeah. Um, I think our list might be a little more... Well, we'll see. We'll see at the end. But um, anyway, I... So a big thing about 2016 to me was... I, <laughs> it was a shit year, okay? I already alluded to this. Picked up a lot of dog shit. <laughs> um, I, I kind of enjoyed wallowing in depressing or negative music for a while there but every time i went back to chance this he's just so positive he's such a positive guy um all you need are happy thoughts yeah for one thing um but just you know like the great thing about him is that he He's got a lot to be thankful for, and he's thankful for it in his songs. But he also takes the negative in his life and, like, embraces it and almost relishes it. 
you know? Yeah. Um, like he, like he loves, he just seems like he loves life all over this album, you know, even the imperfections. I think that a, um, a, a bit of a corny, uh, thing to say here is that this album more than the album actually titled it could be called lemonade <laughs> about like taking the bad shit in your life and making something out of it. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. Um, yeah, that's that is very fair. And the interesting thing about this album is that um so I'm an atheist, right? Chance is like the most overtly <laughs> religious dude, you know, like he talks about Jesus all over this thing and I find it so endearing. Like like I I love it. Like I love here, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that or like afraid to say or like you know, I'm not put off by it at all. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's so endearing. It's honest. It's done extremely artistically and clearly very personally. You know. Yeah. Um. And it's it's real. You know, and not a minute of this album doesn't feel real to me. You know, and yet somehow he keeps it so positive for the most part. Um. He's got all these features. He's got Lil Wayne. He's got Two Chains on No Problem, um, and he's got Kanye in the opening track. Kind of. I don't know how much you hear. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know how much Kanye is actually there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my it also has my song of the summer, which was All Night, mm-hmm. which includes a line about letting a girl fart in his car, uh, <laughs> which is you know, again he's taking a lemon and making lemonade. Yeah. Um, but just, just so good. I love chance. Um, I saw him for like five minutes at Eau Claire at the Eau Claire festival. He showed up at the very end and just like his presence there just lifted the place, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, he's a really special artist and, and, um, I think this is his best work yet. And I think he's just so endlessly creative. I can't wait to see what he's got next. The only thing I'm quibble with about what you said is I think his best work actually, and it's a very small bit of work. I Ultra still, Light Beam. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> well, yeah. I feel like his verse on Ultra Light Beam is the best thing he's ever done by a country mile. Yep. Um, yep. Really, really great. But yeah, um, it was interesting. I um, I am not an atheist. With, no, you're not. But, I, but I'm also somebody who really dislikes most music that involves faith. Because <laughs> uh, I think many times it sounds phony, yeah. And this does not in any way sound put upon or embellished at all. He's this... not selling you anything. No, he's not, and I think that's really important. That's a great way of putting it. Um, he's not. I did have a have have an interesting thought though, and I have an answer for me, but I want to hear your answer for this. Pretend for a second that it's not Chance the Rapper. That there's an album with the same the same not selling you spirituality to it, but it's a country band. Would you have um, any interest in it? That's hard. I mean con- country like country country. Because I listen to plenty of like, 
um, you know, Americana mm-hmm. that has references to to Jesus and things like that. You know, there's a difference I, between a reference and this, though. Yeah, I, it's I, hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a very generic thing. Part of it is part of it is that Chance's delivery is so endearing. You yeah, know, yeah. If there was an endearing, you know, like if, like it's endearing to hear a really great classic country musician sing all the old standards, or like right. Elvis singing uh, gospel, gospel stuff, standards, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, or Bob Dylan even. Look at Bob Dylan. You know, he did a yeah. a string of uh, gospel music there for a while. Yeah. Um, to me, it's just interesting. I feel like there's this. Um... There's this acceptance of faith in hip hop mm-hmm. that is not found anywhere else musically, and I don't know if that's because of the inherent juxtaposition that happens. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that blows my mind, like intellectually, if I think about it too hard, it makes my brain hurt. Is like the amount of, um, like. The amount of and the chance record is not a good example of that, but the amount of hip hop that expressly references God, but also expressly references like homophobia, misogyny, racism. And I'm not saying talking about those things, I'm saying playing into those things, uh-huh. you know. And to me, that's like I just and I know that a good, a huge chunk of the population that believes in God also believes in some of those shittier things. It's just so against how I see like faith, you know what I mean? So I find it sometimes very interesting to, to hear those things put together in hip hop. And I wonder if it's because of that, that it's more accepted that it doesn't seem like it's Holy Roller music because they also say fuck a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know if that's part of it. Right. Oh, well, you know, I think I think Chance's overall package in particular is is presented in a lot more palatable, fun way than like Yes. Yes. You know, a country musician in general. I we're speaking in generalities. Of here, course we are. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I love this album. I think it's great. Yeah. Um it also does something I think is very very hard, which is that it takes um a like a very a very uncool worship song in How Great Is Our God <laughs> and and makes it into something that's very soulful and very interesting. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. And I'm familiar with that song, too. Yeah. Yep. Um, he was on SNL. Yes, he was. Week. Yeah. Did you see that at all? I just – I have a DVR, but I did see the um, Jingle Barack sketch he was in. <laughs> oh, Okay. Well, he did. Um, he did uh, one of the songs from this album, but he put it, he threw in a little because it was a Christmas episode. Uh-huh. He threw in "Jesus, it's your birthday, happy birthday, Jesus," which is the Simpsons. Right, Lisa, yeah. it's your birthday. Wow. You know, he did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So That's you'll awesome. you'll enjoy that when 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 that part comes up. Wow. But he was great. Um, He's so charismatic. Oh man, wait till you, wait till you see those performances. It's like two of the best performances that have ever been on SNL and I don't I don't think that I'm being outlandish when I say that like two of the top 20 performances ever on SNL I would say Ashley Simpson has a bone to pick with you oh yeah that was pretty good yeah 
her little her little dance she did. Oh boy! <laughs> now I get embarrassed for her. Now, do you count? Uh, <laughs> I can't even get the joke out. Uh, Adrian Brody's Rastafarian thing <laughs> as a musical performance. Respect my neck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jean Paul. All right. Uh, my last one, number eleven. Uh, it's funny. I had three in the twenties, and then ten and eleven. Uh, this is John K. Sampson's Winter Wheat. John K. Sampson, former lead singer of the recently broken up Weaker Thans. Um, this is his second uh, full-length solo record, his first since the Weaker Thans broke up. Uh, it, it's it's very much on the mellower side of the Weaker Thans uh, catalog. A lot of acoustic guitar. Uh, I love him as a lyricist. He's one of my three or four favorite living lyricists. He just paints these wonderful pictures, and he's from Winnipeg, and a lot of this album is about living in this, uh, it's a city, but it's an incredibly small city in the middle of nowhere, and it's this, it's this feeling of isolation, and the feeling of kind of being stuck someplace, which is something that, you know, I, I live, you know, reasonably close to New York City, but there are times I definitely feel like I live in a different universe than that, <laughs> and, uh, so the, but in another way, I actually am really envious of of people who live in in a more isolated environment. I I have this weird, like love hate relationship with with living in a tiny city someplace. Um, I would love to live in, I guess, someplace like Winnipeg, where there's a really where where you don't have to do a lot to be really ingratiated into the scene of something. You know what I mean? Like, where where there's where there's there's less spots in the club but each person there means more. I really like that idea. And this album really goes uh, goes to that. There's a song called Postdoc Blues that is, that's really great. And overall, I just feel like his work is among the best at, at painting a vivid picture. And uh, it's funny, when I first heard it, I was like, oh man, this would sound so much better as a Weaker Thins album. Like if there was more electric guitar on it and it was a little bit more uh more driving in a way I, I thought i'd enjoy it more but the more i listen to it it's a very um to me it's a very wintry album we've talked before about certain certain albums feeling like certain seasons oh, and yeah. it's called winter wheat so that's a little bit of a, of a cheat but to me this definitely invo- invokes evokes um you know, images of snow and of uh of like for some reason, there's this image that keeps sticking with me of, of like walking in from the cold, and and you're you're someplace and and it initially feels uncomfortable because the temperature has changed so much from outside to inside. That's very much the feeling I get from this album, and it's a very specific feeling. I don't know if that's um, if if anyone else will will feel that or not, but that's that's what I feel about it. And uh, yeah, John K. Sampson's Winter Wheat. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to go through our, our top 30 now, I guess? Yeah, I guess so. So uh, I, I guess I'll – you want me to read like the bottom five? And yeah, then you yeah, do five? yeah, read 30 to 26 and all to the same. All right. 30, Lisa Prank, adult teen. Uh, 29 – and if you stop me at any point if you want to talk yeah, about yeah, it yeah. or comment. 29, Taco Cat. <laughs> Both self-titled. of those were in my top 50. Nice, nice. I love that um, they're very similar albums, mm-hmm. just kind of these like short, uh, 
kind of the female version of uh, pop punk or something, or what do you call that sound? Um, I don't know, but I like it. Yeah, I don't know, just like just like short pop punky little tunes, um, very funny at times. Mm-hmm. Taco Taco Cat, very referential and specific. Uh, they, they their the lead song on the the album is uh, references X Files. <laughs> that's all yes, about it Scully. Does. Um, Lisa Prank, that's a funny album, but it's it's I feel like that one's a little more personal. Um, then 28 is Margaret Glaspie, Emotions and Math, mm-hmm. uh, which is a gorgeous little album. Um, 27, Nice as Fuck, they're self-titled. Uh, Jenny, that's Jenny yep, Lewis. Jenny Lewis is a band, yeah. Yep, yep. I saw her at Eau Claire, and she played a Nice as Fuck song and fit right in there. That's a, that was, it's, that's a good little album. And then 26, Juliana Barwick, Will. Um, and I always, I almost always have... Uh, Barwick's album somewhere on my list because I just think she does really gorgeous arrangements and yeah. Okay, what's uh, what's your bottom five there? Uh, number thirty, the Monkeys, Good Times. <laughs> uh, I knew that would make it somewhere. Yeah. I thought that was gonna be like in your top ten or something. No, no, I really liked it. I, I really do like that album, but it's um yeah number thirty. Uh, this is my most surprising to me on my list. Number twenty nine, Block Party Hymns. Oh wow! I was not a Block Party fan. When they first came out, I didn't dislike them, but I just their records never did anything for me. This album uh-huh. fucking floored me. I really love this album. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to go back to that because I just I I like them a lot, and I totally wrote that off. Oh, so that's interesting. I don't know if there is a bit of a spiritual bent to it, like, uh-huh. a, like a searching for spirituality, and the the title hymns obviously you know evokes that a little bit. Really, really liked it though. Um, yeah, I, I think given more time, that would have bumped up my list considerably and i still gave it five or six good listens but you know i really enjoyed it yeah yeah uh, Buff Hardy hymns uh 28 is the aforementioned modern baseball holy ghost number 27 we talked about earlier uh in another show glenn jones is fleeting the acoustic guitar record uh the american primitive style and number 26 uh this is a guy who i have some friends that were really into him and i never really got him then I heard this album, like, oh, this is fucking great. So I might have to go back and, and reevaluate this guy's entire discography. But Rob Crow's group Gloomy Place, You're Doomed Be Nice, Rob Crow from the band Pinback. Oh, I um, love Pinback. Yeah. Um I never really got into Pinback. But Rob Crow's Gloomy Place is his new project and it's really great. Huh. Interesting. I'll have to check that. I don't think I even listened to that. It's on. It's on our document someplace. Okay. All right. Um, well, what are your next five? All right. Twenty-five. Sia. This is acting. Um, I saw Sia at Panorama Fest in New York City, and she was great. The crowd was terrible, but <laughs> um, these songs, like these songs, are larger than life. And she wrote them all for somebody else to sing. You know. So I actually haven't um, heard that album yet. Oh, it's, it's good. been it's been on my to listen to list since the, since it came out. Mm, it's good. I like. It. I mean, I obviously like it. It's twenty five. <laughs> uh, twenty four. Iggy Pop. Post pop depression. I never expected this to be on my list. That's on my list later. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it then. Uh-huh. Um, twenty three. The hotelier. 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 I I'm not sure. I think it's hotelier. I think it is too. Just missed my list. Goodness. Okay. Very good. Very good. I see this one is kind of up that emo alley yep. a little bit, but then <laughs> my wife Erica came in. My wife. 
my wife, Erica, came into the room the other day, and she was like, are you listening to country? And I didn't, I didn't hear that. And then after she said that, I was like, oh, my God, there's a little bit of a, a, a country bent to it. What I like about that album, real quickly, is I feel like production-wise, there's a bunch of unexpected touches in it. Uh-huh. There's that one track that I, and I don't have the track list in front of me that has the drum that like keeps going at the end of the song. Like yeah. Boom, boom sound. And it just keeps going like this is really this is really surprising. It doesn't really add much to the song, but it makes the record flow really interestingly. I think it's a great a very well produced album. Uh really really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um 22 is Lucius, Good Grief. Um that album has a lot of variety on it. And it's really all their songs are really catchy and that's what I like about it. I mean, I'm not sure how substantial the music is, but fuck you can like dance to all these songs so i like it 21 islands taste Uh, i know you were on the flip side because they released two albums this year the the other one is later on my list yeah yep okay so we'll talk about that then but like i feel like those two albums they're they're almost the perfect division between you and i like yes agreed like 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 taste is vince and the other one i forget its name should i remain here at sea yeah is brian yeah i agree (laughs) with that (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of commonality there, but there is there's clear distinction. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we'll talk about that, I suppose, when you get to yeah. Your yeah. Part. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, number twenty five. I mentioned it before. Jeff Rosenstock's "Worry." Number twenty four. Childish Gambino. "Awaken My Love." <sighs> That's that made my honorable mentions, but I think if I give that a little more time, a few more listens, because that was just recently. Yeah, it was just like a two, week or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Man, he does some interesting stuff on that. Yeah. See, to me, again, that is a far more like that first listen. I was like, I have to get back to this very quickly. You know, just grab me. Uh, twenty three, aforementioned Pine Grove Cardinal. Uh, twenty two, and I'm sure this will be higher on your list. Blood Orange, Freetown Sound. <laughs> uh-huh. Is that higher on your list? Yes, it uh, is. We'll talk yeah. about it when we get to years then. And then twenty one, uh, a band I kind of found out of nowhere. They're called $75 Bill, and the album is called Wood Metal Plastic Pattern Rhythm Rock. It's like it's instrumental, droney, um, kind of Indian-influenced music. The guy uses a microtonal guitar, which makes it sound more like a sitar than a guitar. Just nice long songs where you get into a groove, kind of Afrobeat-ish, Indian-ish instrumental rock I really enjoyed. So, um, yeah. Those are my next five. All right. Uh, so number 20, William Tyler, Modern Country. <laughs> number 20 on mine, too. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, that I would probably not have listened to this album were it not for you. Oh, um, really? Why? I just uh, – it would have been the thing that I would have – it would have been the type of thing that I would have passed by and maybe said, you know – because I, I mean, I, I listened to 480 albums this year, right? Yeah, I haven't done my count. It's gonna be close to 400, though. Yeah, but it might have been the thing that I would have said, like, ah, instrumental country. Like, I'm just gonna set this aside, and if I get to it, you know. But I think you had it as like a loved it or something, mm-hmm. and that made me check it out, and I loved it. This is music that you drive down the highway to, you know, on like a Sunday morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. 19, Tim Heidecker in Glendale. Uh, 18, Walter Martin, Arts and Leisure. Another one that I listened to because of you. Um, 
So thank you. That was a really that's a really interesting album. I love the uh, well. He's higher on your list, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it. Seventeen modern baseball. Uh, let's see. Sixteen Radiohead, a moon shaped pool. That's higher on my list too. Okay. Uh, is that it? You have one more. Nope, that's it. I think twenty through sixteen. That's five. Yeah. Okay. Um, twenty. William Tyler, Modern Country. Uh, number nineteen, Twin Peaks, Down in Heaven, uh, Chicago garage rock band. Their last album, um, uh, something Wild Onion. Couldn't think of the name there for a second. I absolutely fell in love with their song from that, uh, Making Breakfast, among I think the best songs of the twenty first century. Uh, so catchy and great. And uh, this album is is really interesting because when I saw them live, they they really are much more intense and screamy live. And I really love the live show. But I was like, oh, I kind of wish they were a little bit poppier. And this record is way poppier than the last one. Um, the first track on the album, which is, I believe it's called Walk to the One You Love. I have to look it up now. Yep. Uh, is is a super super great song and has an interesting little um, time signature in it. Really really fun. Great. Uh, number eighteen, Sturgill Simpson, a Sailor's Guide to Earth. Uh, Sturgill Simpson is a uh, country singer songwriter. For those that don't know, his um, his last album, uh, Meta Modern Country Sounds, I think it's called. That's something like that. Uh, I really enjoyed. I like this one even more. I think he is a very tough pill to swallow for folks who don't like traditional country vocals because it's uh he definitely has a very traditional country voice. Um, yeah, but I really enjoy it. Uh, number 17, a tribe called quest. We've got it from here. Thank you for your service. Big tribe fan from back in the day. I think this album is better than their last album together, which was back in the late nineties. Uh, the love, the love method, the love, I am so fucking tired. I can't. The Love Guru. Yes, The Love Guru, starring <laughs> Mike Myers. I think this is better than that. Uh, R.I.P. Fife Dog, really, really good. And uh, They were great on SNL a couple weeks back. Yes, they were. Absolutely great. And uh, number 16, we talked about it last time, uh, Pixies Head Carrier. Oh, nice. Yeah. You, you know, me, about, you know that, me and the Pixies, so. Yeah, yep. That almost made my honorable mentions. Uh-huh. I did. <laughs> Sergio Simpson was down in my honorable mentions. I didn't. I didn't say that, but mm-hmm. no, he's down there. Um, okay, fifteen. Frankie Cosmos. Next thing that just missed my list. Ah, uh, see, I love again. Like that's my wheelhouse. Yeah, um, that type of thing. Like these songs are like two minutes long, but uh, the thing she, that's great about Frankie Cosmos is that she's the spawn of Kevin Klein and uh, what's her name. Is uh, this true? Yeah, she's Kevin Klein's daughter. Oh my God, Kevin Klein and what's her name from Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Um, yeah. Um, fuck. Yes, I know who. I, yeah, 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 yeah. It's Kevin Klein's daughter. Yeah. Wow. That blew that blew my mind, man. <laughs> um, but Greta they're like Klein. That's her name, <laughs> Greta Klein. Okay. Interesting. So I mean, talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, there are these like two minute like twee like little twee songs you know but and they're like simple little observations about like getting older or you know just whatever but they're just so simple so chill and um just like lo-fi it's it's just it's it's like that's my comfort food um 
for sure. So that's why she made my list. Uh, 14, Frank Ocean. Blonde, we already talked about that. 13, Florist, The Birds Outside Sang. Uh, we talked about that on, on the earlier podcast. Um, she sounds a lot like Frankie Cosmos, by the way. Uh, yeah, I can see rep- that, yeah. Yeah, I only I listened to those two albums back to back just by like coincidence, and I thought, holy shit, they sound a lot similar, um, or they sound very similar. But uh, Florist, uh, those tunes are a lot more vulnerable, I think. Frankie Cosmos is almost disaffected, kind of in 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 her music, um, but it's definitely the same same sort of thing, which is why I like it, you know. Um, 12 was Fatima al Qadiri's Brute, which is like a really difficult, um, <laughs> there's a lot of like samples. It's very frightening. There's like police scanners and shit on it. Um, it's a brutal album, but I, I talked about earlier how I, I listened to a lot of music this year that was like purposefully depressing uh-huh. because I will literally like when there's a crisis or something, I will sit and listen to the online police scanners <laughs> and like, so submerge myself in this stuff dude probably not a good thing no it's not (laughs) (laughs) but but brute really stood out to me as like a document of our times in that way and see i really liked what they were going for i never have to hear it again sure and you know what i do not blame you (laughs) i've probably only listened to it like five times but it really stuck out to me um as something and it's really short too that really helps it's like it might not even be quite a half an hour. Yeah. So that really helped. Um, if it was like an hour long, forget about it, you know? <laughs> um, and then 11, Carly Rae Jepsen, Emotion, Side B. All right. Um, number 15, Bad, Bad, Not Good, 4. Um, this is a Canadian band. Some call them jazz. Some call them instrumental hip-hop. I think they kind of fall in between there. Uh, three of these ten songs have vocals on them, uh, but it's it it's really really to me. Uh, how can I put this? It it's at the building blocks of amazing music. I think that this is stuff that I think hip hop artists in twenty years are going to be sampling these guys left and right. Uh, really really enjoy the album. Uh, number 14, Wilco's Schmilko. I, I, I know you, you are less of a current Wilco fan than I am. Yeah. I think this album is very delicate and very interesting. And, uh, I, I just think that Jeff Tweedy is one of the best songwriters that we have in the world right now. And he's, uh, it's not my favorite Wilco album, but I, I did really enjoy it. I think it makes an interesting pairing to last year's Star Wars. I think you put the two of them together and you get a really, really interesting two-disc set. Um, number 13, Iggy Pop, Post-Pop Depression. Now, you're not typically an Iggy guy, right? No, I'm not. And you're not typically a Josh Homme, Queens of the Stone Age guy? Uh, a little more so than Iggy Pop, but... Um, okay. Like, Songs for the Deaf, I really like. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, that album's great. Um, But yeah, this album is... uh, It's the best an Iggy solo album has sounded in over 30 years the songs are really really strong the uh the instrumentation is is just great i think hami's a great guitar player and i think his his voice on the guitar meshes really interestingly with iggy pop's vocals i think that iggy is smart to not 
be trying to emulate the Stooges at his age. Uh, I think this makes a really nice third record if you put this alongside The Idiot and Lust for Life, the two records that Bowie produced for him in the 70s. I think it, it very much fits in line with that. Um, I, I was telling you this, but I never heard the Bowie influence until I listened to this album for the second time. And the second time I listened to it, I went, holy shit, that's Bo- he's doing a Bowie. <laughs> I just never heard it before. Yeah. It's uh, it's good. It's real good. Uh, number 12, Kanye West, The Life of Pablo. Mm. Is that on your list? It is. Okay. It's a little higher. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait to get to that then. And then I mentioned number 11, John K. Sampson, Winter Wheat. All right. Number 10 for me is Bon Iver, 22 a million. Just missed um, my list. Just missed your list. Mm-hmm. I For me, I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. We... My wife and I, my wife, my wife. Uh, and I saw uh, Justin Vernon debut this album at Eau Claire Festival uh, this past summer. And hearing it in that environment and how clear it was and how everyone was just listening because nobody knew any of the songs, you know, mm-hmm. um, that was such a unique and singular experience that that's probably the only reason why this is in my top 10. Okay. <laughs> it would have been on the list somewhere for sure. Um, but repeat listens to that album don't do more for me than seeing it live for the very first time did. That's very interesting. Yeah, it was really special, man. Like when I heard it, I thought this is going to be my favorite Bon Iver album. I can already tell. And I don't think that that's true anymore. Like I think For Emma is still probably my favorite. But um, but that experience was so singular that I can't imagine my top ten without it. Interesting. Okay. Um, so 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 that's why that's there. Um, did you have anything you wanted to say about it? Or... Um, we've been talking about this kind of uh, both on the air and via text for the last six months, five months, or something, whatever it was been. Uh, I I feel like this is going to be his disco album in that it's going to sound very dated in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, there's a lot of good ideas on it. I don't think the songs are as strong as his other records. And I think that this is going to be that album in his discography that when you see him in, in 15 years, when he pulls out one of these songs in a more stripped down way, you're gonna be like, Oh man, I wish you recorded it that way. Mm. I think this is going to sound very dated. That, that that's my biggest feeling about the album. Yeah, and I can, I can totally see that, but I do Yeah, we we've, we've talked about this. I yeah. do think it sounds like 2016, you know. But I think that that's why it's going to sound dated. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh number 9, Kanye Life of Pablo. Uh I did I was really up and down with this album over the course of the year. Um but I ended up finding way more to like in it than dislike. And it, it's, I mean, it is, it's all over the place for sure. Um, but man, there's so many good songs on it. It's, it's overstuffed, but like, you know, ultra, first of all, ultra, ultra light beam might be the best song of the year. It is. It is. I think it is. It is. It is. It is. But just the way that like, the way that he exam it's like a pop examination of celebrity everyone else's and his own <laughs> right and it's um 
the the best line on it, I think, because it's the it's the line that it in, embodies Kanye the most is "Name one genius that ain't crazy." Yeah. Because of course Kanye thinks he's a genius, and and he is. I'll say I'll say that he is. Um, but he's also crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still think the the best line on the album because it is so. It's a it's a line that is so brilliantly constructed in wordplay, but is such a terrible sentiment. Is <laughs> if I just fucked this model and she just bleached her asshole and I get bleach on my t shirt, I'm gonna feel like an asshole. <laughs> like I really think there's some really brilliant wordplay in there, but it's such a horrible like. Yeah, it's it, horrible. You know what I mean? It's just it's just horrible, and I feel like that embodies Kanye West for me. Yeah, yep, it's funny. Yep. I, I was thinking about this today because I was listening to Ultralight Beam. When I was cooking dinner, and uh, Aaron, my wife, my wife was like, uh, "What is this?" I'm like, "It's Kanye West," and she's like, "Oh," and I was like, "Yeah, I was gonna say that like I think it's important to separate art from artists, but if you can't with Kanye, no, like he is his art and vice versa, and he is a terrible person by all accounts, and he is mentally ill by all accounts, and he is." Apparently powerful enough to get a meeting with the president-elect. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a complicated dude, and he's somebody that I, I would legitimately not want to spend time with. Uh, but I think he makes fascinating music. Oh, yeah. Well well said. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Number eight, David Bowie, Black Star. Well, that's higher on my list. I, I figured it would be. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, Seven Connor Oberst ruminations. Six Queen Bee Lemonade. Didn't um, make my top fifty. No, no. no. I uh, I've really I've really uh, I don't want to say soured on that album. That's not the right way to put it. I'm as I said to you before. Important pop is a false uh, <laughs> is a false thing. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of really important. There's there's some good music on that album, but it's so caught up in what it represents that people aren't listening to the. And I'm not saying you. I just think that yeah. Oh, see, because I don't get that at all. That I people mean, I think, aren't listening to the album. I think almost every song is good from a from a pop music standpoint, mm-hmm. rather than just important. But that's yeah. that's me. I mean, I do. I understand exactly what you're saying, and um, there's been a lot of hubbub about this album for a variety of. Uh, legitimate reasons and uh, some pretty awful reasons. <laughs> yep. Um, but to me, it's just I like all of the songs on this album. Really, I honestly do. So it's number six on my list for that reason, and 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 none other really. Mm-hmm. And she was great live. I, my wife, my wife, my wife. Uh, got me Beyonce tickets for my birthday. So <laughs> she was awesome. Uh Okay, uh, number 10, I mentioned it before, Symbols and Guitars, Pretty Years. Number 9, uh, a band from your neck of the woods, my friend. Uh, oh, boy. The Dave King Trucking Company, Surrounded by the Night. Dave King is the drummer in The Bad Plus, and this is his um, his larger band. I absolutely love his songwriting, and I love the sound of his records. To me, his solo records sound like late at night, like driving late at night. Mm. Um and the the name of the band, the Dave King Trucking Company, kind of gives off that impression, you know. But um, he one time described it as old school country played by jazz musicians. 
<laughs> and I, I, it doesn't sound like that, but it per that perfectly describes his his music. Um, this might be his his strongest of the Trucking Company records so far. I think this is the third or fourth. Um, number eight, Islands. Should I remain here at sea? Uh, we talked about this before. This is the record that very much harkens back to the first Islands record. Um, whereas Taste, the album that was released uh, alongside it, very much is more of a of a poppier electronic tinged album. I think both are wonderful, and I'm really glad both came out this year. But you're right. This one is definitely me, and Taste <laughs> is definitely you. Yep. Um. Are you a fan of the Unicorns, his former band at all? I, I don't think I'm familiar. Oh, man, that first album. They only did one album. Why am I saying the first album? The one Unicorns album is perfect. Um, and maybe my favorite ever live concert experience for just how weird it was. <laughs> um, they, they only had like one album and an EP, I guess, out when I saw them. And they, uh, they, they started this, this song that wasn't on the album, and it was just them basically like, telling a very slow purposely boring story so like there's this, this, this kind of instrumental bedrock and they're like you know and so uh so i went to the store today i was like really what, what'd you get i got some eggs whatever and it goes on and then somehow i forget what happened but it switched and there was like a three minute segment of a pre-recorded song from wrestlemania the album about the Macho Man Randy Savage. And they left the stage and just let this song play out. And they came back and picked up that story right where they left off. And it was so fucking weird and awesome. Um, wow. I'll never forget that. Uh, so, yeah, Islands, very, very good. Uh, number seven, Connor Oberst, Ruminations. Uh, number six, Walter Martin, Arts and Leisure. Um, so this album, we talked about it in the past. It is, it is very much a uh, – it reminds me a lot of, of early – solo Jonathan Richmond stuff, which is some of my favorite music ever made. Uh, the songs are very upbeat and very, very focused. Like this album, a lot of it is focused on the title. It is arts and leisure, like pieces of artwork or just things you do kind of for fun. Um, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoy this album. I, I know you enjoy it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And, um, uh, uh, kind of a dark horse candidate for song of the year is jobs I had before I got really yep. famous. For yeah. Me. <laughs> it's just so funny. And like, um, I think I said this on an earlier podcast, but it's like, it's, it tells a story in the way that sun kill moon does, except, um, Walter Martin seems like a nice guy. And, <laughs> yes. and Mark Kozilek is an asshole. So. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> uh, excellent way to put it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's, that's my, so, so top five, do, do we want to go album for album now in our top five? Sure. Why not? All right. So what's, All your, right. what's your number five? Angel Olsen, my woman. Okay. This is the album I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. To me, this is the Frank Ocean album with guitars. Ah. It's fine. Ah. It's nice. It's fine. I don't get why it's great. Tell me why it's great. It's again, it's just that like female singer songwriter, lo fi, like 90s song, like, like, sort of like 90s sound. See, I don't hear like, the 90s thing at all. You don't? No. Oh, God. 
and I uh, hear the boring 2016 sound. <laughs> and she's like angry, and that's the thing that I love about Angel Olsen is that like she always seems to have a bit of an edge to her, and um, I I think I think she's got some really interesting choruses. Like she's one of the she's one of my favorite chorus writers um, in music. Like the chorus to "Shut Up, Kiss Me" is just not at all what you would expect it to be. And yet it sticks in my mind like glue, you know? Um, and on this album, she, she, she has a couple of songs that go over seven minutes and that's not something I would have expected from her. And, and I think they're really like interesting little mini epics kind of, um, I don't know. I find, I found this album, it took a while to break, break through for me, but, I just I think what she's doing is so interesting. And see, I don't find anything interesting about it. No, it's fine. Again, like this is why I I wanted I want to know what I'm missing because everybody whose opinion I really care about loves this album, and to me, it's just fine. It's just fine. I don't hear anything particularly great about it. It's good. It's all right. It is. It's a thing. (laughs) It's it is a thing. Yeah. What's your number five? My number five is the self-titled record by Bridget May Power. Did you listen to this at all? No, I didn't. I meant to go back to that, and I never did. Okay, it's she's an Irish folk singer, and the album. I don't know where it was recorded. It sounds like it was recorded in a big empty church, like really echoey, really hazy, lots of kind of. Uh, droning guitar, acoustic guitars with really beautiful melodies. To me, there's um, there's an album that I'm sure you've never heard of because I've never met another person who has ever heard of it. Um, it was one of those things when I was like 21 or 22 and uh, uh, I would buy every record that Pitchfork like a nine or above. Uh, and it was by a guy named um, Thomas David. Hang on. It's in my iTunes someplace. Anyway, it just it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. Bridget May Power is what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's just this like beautiful, really intense, really um, very personal but also very ethereal like it just it it hits so many of the things i love about music mysterious i think mysterious may be the best word for it it doesn't spell anything out for you everything is very much up for interpretation and it's one of those albums that um like i said like i said before about i forget what now i um when i first started listening to it i actually was like no work is not the place to listen to this album I have to go home and listen to it um, because it's it's that intense and it's that beautiful. And, uh, yeah, the best mood album of the year. Interesting. Yeah. What's yeah, the... I, uh, my number four is Solange, A Seat at the Table. Okay. I like that better than I liked Lemonade. Uh-huh. But I still feel like it's uh, kind of boring. Mm, yeah. I mean – that, I mean, it fits the bill for exactly what you're talking about. Uh-huh. So I'm not surprised that you feel that way. Um, to me, I just find... 
here here's what I found really fascinating this year, and really I I feel this way every year about art, um, but particularly in these tumultuous modern times, right? Um, I'm fascinated by art uh, that I couldn't possibly relate to at all. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I don't relate to Solange's uh, issues at all. You know, I uh -huh. mean, this is an out. Al this is an album about um, black womanhood and what a black woman has to go through every day. You know, whether it's just having your hair touched or whether it's like systematic racism, right, right, uh, in institutions, um, or even the idea of there's 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 uh, a great moment on here that talks about the idea of the magical black person. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. like. And, uh, and I'm, that's, that's really well-worn territory, but at the same time, like, it's always going to be relevant. It's never been more relevant than right now, you right. know, really. I mean, it's as relevant as ever. And, um, and I'm just fascinated by it and I want to learn from it, you know, and, um, and I'm fascinated with the way that Solange presented it, um, even more so than Beyonce. I mean, Beyonce put it in this very pop package um, that has a lot of different types of sounds, whereas Solange's uh, A Seat at the Table is very much... Uh, well, I mean, it was, it's basically, it was basically uh, uh, produced by Raphael Sadiq. Right. So it has this very singular, very black style to it all the way through. And um, to, to me, it was such a singular piece of work in that way. And I'm so fascinated by it that uh, I kept going back to it, you know? Um, I, I've definitely returned to it a number of times and I really like about half the album. But again, mm -hmm. I just feel like it needed to do more. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I get it, it. It is. It is from that same stock that you're talking about. Um, I think she breaks it up a little bit more with some interstitial stuff. Yes, I did like that. Yeah, and I, I think I. Think... And it's very academic in interstitial stuff too. Yeah, yeah, it's really well curated. Um, you understand why all of that stuff was chosen and put in. It's very everything is very fitting. Nothing seems extraneous. Um. um yeah, I really, I was really fascinated by that album. And I'm, like, to me, music is both a emotional and an academic experience. And I think this album has both in it, you know, um, for me. And I, I, like, I don't want to say, like, I like it because it's important, because that seems trite, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very, it's very good music to me. But um, I guess what I'm saying is, the message is so powerful to me that um, that I had to have it up here, you know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. See, I, I um, I, I think I think it is very important music. I just don't think like one one of the things that I would hope is true of most of the records that that I love is that, like I, I use this expression all the time, but I, it's one that is important to me. You know, somebody woke me up in the middle of the night and was like, "Sing me a sing me a bit of of X record." 
I could I could do it. I feel like I've listened to that Solange album ten times. I don't know if I could sing you one like hook of that album. Oh really? Yeah, it just it doesn't stick with me. Um. Yeah. Interesting. I I just did a count here of my top thirty. There is only one female fronted record, but my twenty below it has sixteen female fronted records. <laughs> so very well, you interesting. Are a huge sexist, I so. am a huge sexist. I am. No, but just, last year I think. Six of my top ten were female fronted bands. Mm. Uh, you're the man, baby. Fuck Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm clearly joking. I'm yeah. clinically depressed. We're, uh, we're sad about it. Yeah. Uh, number four for me. We talked about it already. Chance the Rapper, Coloring Book, which is your number three, yeah. right? That's my number three. Yep. Okay. So what's uh, my number three is Radiohead, A Moon Shaped Pool. Mm. I did not want to put this album this high. <laughs> it just happened. I feel like um, loving Radiohead is the most like white liberal thing you can do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I support Bernie Sanders. I love Radiohead, and um, but I, I keep coming back to it. I think this is this is in their top three or four records of all they ever made. Wow! And for, and for a band to be this strong, this far into their career is. It's it's pretty incredible, yeah. Like like thinking back on this now, I think it goes OK Computer, Kid A, Moonshade Pool. Really? In in terms of like a full album package, yeah. Wow. That's those. That's big. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that ranking will last. You know, with, yeah. like, with all these things, you know, they, they can change so suddenly. Yeah. See, I would have <laughs> – I'm the weirdo that has King of Limbs at, like, the three spot. Yeah, it's probably at least – not not better than Pablo Honey, but – Yeah, and then, and then In Rainbows, and then probably this. Okay. I respect all of that. I do. Thanks. I actually – I really like – I actually – I really like the King of Limbs when I – I've seen them do some some of that stuff live, mm-hmm. and to me, it really comes alive that way. Sure. Um, what's your number two? My number two is Anoni, Hopelessness. Um, I, I, I'm surprised it's this high, but I'm not surprised it's on your list. Yeah, it was number one for a very long time. <laughs> Interesting. Most of the year, um, I was devastated by this album. <laughs> Like floored. Um, I've always been a, a, a Anthony fan. Okay, mm-hmm. Anoni now. So yeah. um, just to be clear on that, um, but uh, I've always been a fan of her voice, and um, I I could not believe how like um, political. And like current and zeitgeisty, and like vital, all of this music was. And then at the same time, like I felt like I could dance to some of it. <laughs> Is that insane? Like, like, like I, I like, or at least sway to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, oh, so so you had Hudson Mohawk and you had uh, One O Tricks Point Never on production. So, I mean, that those are, like, two heavy hitters as far as, like, beat producers go, you know? Mm-hmm. 
she threw a lot into this and um just the way like i think she's got such a beautiful voice but the album is not pretty <laughs> it's really like difficult and harsh and then it's got this beautiful voice behind it but it's also a very like dread filled <laughs> voice mm-hmm. yeah, yeah at times and it really moved me um, to a bigger house <laughs> Jesus. It's a Simpsons reference, guys. Come on. Yeah, no, I got it. I know you got it. <laughs> it really it really moved me in a really, really powerful way. And also I want to be drone bombed, so <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh uh it's just it's it's the type of thing that I really needed and uh I did I read an interview with her where she said like she was tired of people writing music that wasn't vital and didn't matter. And uh, it was kind of an indictment of pop, which I'm not 100% behind, but like I feel her passion in this, you know? Mm-hmm. And it really got to me, man. <laughs> um, See, it's a har- it's a harrowing album to listen to. When I first heard it, I hated it. Uh-huh. And it has grown on me a little bit. But um, it's interesting. I'm realizing something about our tastes as we're doing this. And I think that – I don't think this is a good thing on my behalf. I don't. But I have a very knee-jerk negative reaction to anything that I think is zeitgeisty. Mm, Because I I find that that stuff never ages well. Sure. Um, And so that when when I was listening to it, a lot of what the first time I was like, "Oh, this is so fucking 2016." I can't. I couldn't care less. <laughs> and I think that the music is better than that, and I think that it transcends that a little bit. But I also, I really have to be in the mood to listen to this. Sure. And uh, I think that overall hurt my enjoyment of it because you can't always control what mood you know. Like you. you to me, there are certain records you can put on no matter what, and it 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 brightens your day in some way or another. Mm-hmm. This is not that for me. No, no. And I think um, – see, I think I'm less mood. I mean basically the only thing – the only time I can't sit down and listen to an album like this would be if I'm like – at the gym on the elliptical, obviously I wouldn't listen to this, you know? Right. But if I'm at home, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in. I don't really use that as a, you know, I don't really operate that way. So that's one way that we're a little different. But um, but I know what you mean about this being 2016. At the same time, part of the reason why I make these lists is to – is because like these are my favorite albums of that year and I can look back in 10 years and I can say whoa like Arcade Fire uh you know Funeral that was ve- that was very much that year not in the way that this is you know but see to me that doesn't feel like that feels like 2004 because it came out in 2004 <laughs> but but it, or whatever year it was but that doesn't to me when I hear that, that doesn't evoke all the things of that year. See, and when I hear that, I think like that there was that boom that happened that year or around that year of music that sounded like this, you know? 
And see, I don't really hear other things that sound like that. Okay. Well, but I, I understand what you mean. Um, yeah, and again, I, I don't think it's a good thing about my listening habits. I really don't. I just think... Well, I don't think it's a bad thing either. I think it might be a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, like, I would be the asshole being like, you know, I don't get this Bob Dylan, you know? Like, you know um, and I don't mean it that way. It's just that, I, you know... Yeah. Okay. But see, our lists are our own, and like... Um... So, so I always say that Amadeus is my favorite movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. But it's not anywhere near like the most entertaining movie. Right. Right. That you could pick, you know. Um. But it's just it's I something about the craft and the 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 vitality of it. I don't know. Like the, the you know my top albums are not necessarily the easiest listens. Um, and I'm not saying yours are, I'm just saying, um, I, I look for these difficult things sometimes, you know, and I kind of relish them. It's funny how I think that your list is both far poppier and far less penetrable than my list is. (laughs) And that's really interesting. And I think your list, and this is reflective of you, I think your list is much more about excellent musicianship um and that is a blind spot for me huh i wouldn't have thought that that's interesting yeah hmm interesting um that was your number two right yes okay my number two well first of all bridget may power and this record both came into my life like a week and a half ago and fucking destroyed my list like (laughs) changed everything this is an album by a band called the caretaker or a project called the caretaker and it's called everywhere at the end of time this is uh the first of a six-part project by this producer who goes by the name of the caretaker where it is based on the idea of somebody having alzheimer's and each of the albums is going to kind of take this fictional... He's essentially saying that the caretaker, his persona, has Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. I, I think I'm not saying that word properly. I know I am, but whatever. Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, yeah. It's just not coming out right because I'm fucking exhausted. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, 1.13 1, in the morning. Um, but so this album is entirely made up of samples of like old records from the 20s and 30s reconstituted into new songs but all of it kind of keeps the like hiss of the vinyl and the uh, the dreaminess of the album, but there's a of the, of the music, but there's a lot of like extra reverb put on it, and things kind of slur around. And as the album goes on, everything gets a little bit less defined, and it's it's totally not the type of album I usually um, dig, but I can't stop listening to it. I'm obsessed with it. And I think it's really beautiful. And if you know the story, it's so impossibly sad as well. Because you're hearing somebody's like mind deteriorate. And this is the happy part of it. Like this is the part he's described this as like a pleasant daydream before things get really bad. Oh man. Um and it just really, really speaks to me. 
I uh, I need to go back and listen to that because I I remember you telling me about it and I just never made time for it. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's, I meant to. It's good. I, I I could see you really liking it. Again, though, like it, this goes against a lot of the things that I talk about. Like a lot of it does sound very similar, and it, it's it's totally a mood record. And it's uh, I could honestly see most people in my life absolutely dismissing this, mm. but I love it, and it it sounds so fresh to me, even though it's it's all old. And it's all, it's, somebody said, one of the, the articles I read, because after I heard it, I went, I read as much as I could about it. Someone said it sounds like the ballroom in The Shining. Oh, no. And that's perfect. Oh, now I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's your number one? All right, can you guess? Blood Orange? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Freetown Sound. Um. Again, this is kind of uh, similar to Solange. It's a it's kind of a document of our times, but I think musically, it's one of the more interesting things I heard this year. I mean, probably the most interesting, really. Like, I, I hear sounds from the seventies, eighties, nineties, and today, and today. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you <laughs> you sound like a radio commercial for a I second did. that's all i did oh god casey Kasem. <laughs> um long distance dedication to a fucking dead dog have you, have you <laughs> ever heard that before yes <laughs> yes <laughs> oh that's good no but like a lot of times when you hear an artist uh pulling sound sounds from an era they're gonna say like this is my 80s album or you're going to describe this as their 70s album. This is their 70s soul album, whatever, you know. But Dev Hines is pulling pulling everything he can from his uh from his past, from everything that he's uh uh consumed over his uh 30 years on earth or whatever it's been, you know. And um and I saw again. I saw him live at Panorama, and that spirit of pulling from all these different eras was alive on stage. It was alive in his video uh, presentation that happened behind the songs. Um, it's just his whole vibe, and and he pulls all. The, I mean, he got Debbie Harry on a song here. Uh, he got Nelly Furtado. Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, my girl, shows, of course, up, of course. shows up on a song here. He samples Della Soul. He samples Charles Mingus. He samples Vince Staples, who's a contemporary artist. Um, I mean, he pulls from everywhere to make a very interesting package that at the same time is talking about uh, the issues of today. And he's kind of this... This is not as positive an album as Chances by any means, but there is like this hint of hope. Like to me, <laughs> when I the last time I listened to Freetown Sound, I thought like Dev Hines is kind of like a light in the darkness a little bit on these like really tumultuous times. And listening to this album doesn't necessarily make you happy in the way that Coloring Book does, but 
it makes me really content. Like it makes me really happy that there's somebody out there doing art like this um, and just collaborating and working. I mean, he plays like every instrument too. <laughs> it's like a really impressive and you hear tons of instruments on this thing. Like he's got all these little flourishes that he puts into his songs and it might be like a few notes on a cello or something that you hear in the background of like, you know, 10 seconds of a song and that's it. But it's there and you pick it out and, and like, this is an album to be unpacked. This is the album that, that rose the highest for me because every time I listened to it, I found a little bit more to like in it. Um, until I was listening to it uh, about a week ago and the whole way through, I'm just thinking there's not a moment on this album that isn't fascinating to me. So it, it had to be my number one by the end of that night. That's interesting. I really like the album. I do. Um, I, I haven't given it as much time as you have. And I would like to give it more time. I find that at the end of the year, it's always tough because I'm trying to get in as much listening as I can. And so sometimes certain albums I want to spend more time with, I don't get a chance to. Mm -hmm. But I, mean, I still listen to this album, you know, four or five times. But I wish I gave it a few more listens than that. Yeah. And those long ones are tough, too. Like, that one's yeah. almost an hour long, so. Yeah. Um, well, you can probably guess my number one. <laughs> well, it's got to be Bowie at this point. It, it is Bowie. Um, yeah. I remember saying on our first ever show, it was going to take a lot for something to beat this for the best album that came out this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, nothing did for me. I, I I think it's it's among Bowie's best work. I think it's certainly in his top ten studio albums, if not his top five or six. Mm -hmm. That's a very tough thing to say, but I think it's it's such a brilliant final record. Like, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I feel like if he had released two more albums after this one, maybe this wouldn't feel quite so special. But because of the way it was released, because it it came out just before he died, because he was terminal while making it, and knew this was probably going to be the last thing he was ever going to make. It's just, um, it's it's just magical. It's it's so great. Uh, Lazarus in particular is just a perfect song, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, combines so many things I love about music. I, Lazarus, the bass playing is is probably my favorite bass playing of the whole year, and um, the lyrics are so plainly about him dying now that you know it uh it's just it's this album continues to floor me every time i listen to it it's the album i listened to the most in 2016 uh, partially due to the fact that it's been out for almost the entire thing came out in just a few days into 20 into 2016 but also it's because to me there's so much there's so many wonderful parts of each song that that it's not so much unpacking it because it's not like I'm hearing new things each time. I'm just appreciating things more each time. Uh, I love the saxophones on this album. I'm not a big like saxophones and rock music guy all the time, but I really love the saxophones here. And 
it's just it's a it's a beautiful, brilliant album. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. It's um, yeah. I think um, the 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 song that stands out to me, Lazarus is the best song on it, but I think closing with uh, with I can't give everything away. Yeah, that to me is such a momentous, vital, propulsive song. It's the 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 rhythm to it. You know, it's just this like it's this fast shuffling rhythm, and he's. He's, you know, this is, this is, I mean, I don't know exactly what it means, but you can imagine that it's, it's, it's a man who knows he's dying. Yeah. And he can't, I, I love the double meaning sort of thing where you, where you think like he can't give everything away before he dies. Like he's always going to have, he could always have something more to give the world, you know? Right, right. Or also... He's David Bowie. He's an enigma, and he's not going to give everything away. Right. I think that's such a perfect uh, sentiment to end his career on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a towering towering achievement um, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's just quickly name some honorable mentions. Sure. Uh, so go ahead. Name a few. Oh, let me see here. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Skeleton Tree. Uh, I wasn't as in love with this album as everybody else was. Same but here. I, I can clearly see the like the pain that sort of brought it into the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. respect that. Um, Tim Hecker's Love Streams, Mitski's Puberty 2. Yeah, that's Sturgill one of mine. That's one of yours. Sturgill Simpson, I mentioned. Bat for Lashes, The Bride. Um, I love Natasha Khan's work. Um, this album was so close to making it, but it just didn't quite. Uh, I've got Esperanza Spalding in my honorable mentions, much to your chagrin. Uh, <laughs> Childish Gambino, Eleanor Friedberger, Jeff Rosenstock, and then the last one that I want to mention, I normally do not put, as a rule, I don't put compilations, cover albums, things like that right. in my top 30 i put day of the dead uh the day of the dead compil the, the grateful dead cover compilation yeah. in the honorable mentions um because while i think there's some dead spots on it i i i like the achievement <laughs> uh let's see a few of mine uh dana falconberry and the medicine bow from the forest came the fire heron oblivion they're a self-titled uh, record, uh, uh, Thou and the Get Down, Stay Down, A Man Alive. Uh, let's see what else I want to talk about. Uh, Mosey by Daniel Romano. Um, Untitled Unmastered by Kendrick mm. Lamar. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else? What else? We talked about a lot of these somewhere else on the show, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting. When this year started, oh, um, Eleanor Friedberger, New View, we talked about that album uh, when the, on the show as well. Um, when, uh, 
when the year started, I remember in January or so, we're like, there's so many good albums this year. <laughs> and while I, I, I still maintain that there were 70 or so albums that I could see making this list at some point, you know, uh, I think that it was very much a very much front-loaded year in terms of a lot of great records. And then at the very end of the year, mm. you know, that middle period wasn't quite as uh, as rich as some of the others. Um, but yeah, an interesting year that we've now put to bed. <laughs> we'll never listen to any of these albums again. Nope, never. <laughs> it's done. Fuck it. No, but I think it's going to be interesting because we're going to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see how we evolve or like, like I think we learned a lot tonight about the way that we look at music and the way that we rank things and what we look for. And yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see like year to year, how much we inspire one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I already checked out a bunch of stuff that I probably wouldn't have listened to, or at least wouldn't have thought of without your, yeah. I can't say I listened to Carly Rae Jepsen. I'm going to, I'm going to break that. I'm going to break pop your cherry on that one. I feel like I should start with emotion, right? <laughs> you should, yes. Okay. I can give you some recs. We'll talk after the show. Okay. <laughs> um, if you want to quibble with our choices, you can find us on Twitter to do so. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with the first show of 2017. Have you looked ahead to upcoming releases the the only thing I know that comes out in early uh, 2017 for sure that I'm going to be to is the new uh, XX album. Okay. When is that due out? Do you know? I believe it's like the 17th. It's somewhere in the teens. It's like 17 okay. or something. 17th or something. So okay. it won't be right away. But All right. Well, do you want to pick uh, one last 2016 album then to, to talk about next time? Um. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We'll be back with a mystery album sometime in 2017. <laughs> so uh, enjoy, guys. Happy New Year. Bye.